0: 2 Samuel chapter 7. You you heard it read just a moment ago. We went over this a little, a couple of weeks ago, but there was one thing that just, uh, we cannot overstate really how significant this chapter is in Scripture. It's when God comes to David and says, I don't want you to build me a house. I'm gonna build you a house. And it's, it's one of those places in Scripture that is everlasting and eternal, kind of like a, uh, there's very few of these, really. One of them is the rainbow after, uh, after the flood. Uh, the rainbow is not what a lot of people make the rainbow out to be today. You know, right? When you see the rainbow, you think in your head that covenant God made with everybody that he would never what? Flood the earth, all the earth with water again. Uh, there are others like the Abraham promise is everlasting. It's, he's he's going to bless the whole ne- uh, whole world all nations through Abraham. Some of the other promises are so conditional that they don't really apply anymore, but this one, this one's huge. If you, as we look through this passage again, you'll see the word forever, 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 forever. This is a perpetual covenant, it never ends. And so, for New Testament believers, this chapter is important because it says, the only person who can rule over the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom you're in, the only person who can be king over it is from the line of David. Has to be a son of David. And that's really important, but it's, I'll tell you what this is like. It's, David has no idea this is coming. He wants to do something great for God, and God says, no, you're not the guy to do this, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna do something great for you. And it's like you, you, you see the Mississippi River and you get to go to the mouth of the Mississippi, where it starts, a spring or a bunch, of, a bunch of overflow from ice and melting and all this stuff, uh, uh, snow melting, and, comes, and you get to see where it starts. David gets to see where this promise starts. But as great as that is, I like our view better. We get to see the river flowing He's looking at it, he's staring down by uh, imagination at what God's gonna do for years after that, making sure one of his children, his offspring is on the throne of God's people. We get to look at the whole trajectory of the river and it's mightier than the Mississippi, right? In essence, God says, I'm gonna make this legacy. Here's a list of all the things he says in this. David, you're you're gonna be at peace during your time. You're gonna die. I'm gonna raise up an offspring from your flesh who will build the temple that you wanted to build. That's in here. I'm gonna establish your kingdom forever. Not like with Saul. Forever. Timeless. Uh, And God said, I'm gonna raise up your offspring and I'm gonna treat them, I'm gonna be their father, they're gonna be my son, but don't forget, That when they go wrong, I'm gonna discipline them. So don't forget that line. That line's in there. I'm gonna discipline them, but I'm never gonna take my love away from them like I did with Saul. You remember when Saul started, you're gonna have but and then God says, No, you're not gonna have a line after this. You'll still be king, but you will not have your your family will not be on it. Not so with David. David says, God says, I'm gonna I'm gonna punish, I'm gonna send them off to captivity, I'm gonna discipline them, but I will never take this promise away from him. All that happens in 2nd Samuel chapter 7. And David is his breath is taken away. What kind of a promise is this? What kind of a blessing from God is this? And what I want to do is I want to track this down. David, we're going to go by largely by screen tonight. So David quoted this to Solomon. David remembers these words. These are cherished words, go right into his heart. You don't have to tell him memorize these verses, memorize 2 Samuel 7. David did because what an amazing, breathtaking promise this is. And so when he's talking to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 22, he called for Solomon, charged him, build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house in the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you've shed too much blood, you've waged great wars, you shall not build a house for my name because you have shed so much blood before me next screen behold a son shall be born to you david quoting it to solomon right to the very son that god was referencing who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all the surrounding enemies. His name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quiet in Israel. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father. I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. And the next generation gets to hear that promise, though not from God directly, from David who received it. The next generation gets to hear it. Solomon heard it because he claims it for himself. Look at this next screen. And so I intend to build a house for the name, 1 Kings 5, 1 Kings 8, for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David my father, your son whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. Solomon takes it, he puts it into his heart, and he starts fulfilling these words. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made, for I have risen in the place of David my father, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon heard it put it in his heart, and he fulfilled it. All the nations know this too, next screen. God comes to Solomon himself now, 1 Kings chapter nine. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon and he says, this is a moment for me to, to confirm this directly to you. And he appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. As for you, speaking to Solomon directly. If you will walk before me as David your father walked with the integrity of heart and the uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. If you'll do this. And so here comes the promise. Here's the next generation hearing the promise. God confirming it to him. And it was repeated over and over and over as the, Judean king, as the Judah kings take the throne. Over and over they remembered we've got to have an offspring of David on the throne and if we do, God's favor will be with us. They never forgot it. The whole nation knew about the promise. In the 18th year of king, this is several years down the line, right? Actually, 18th year of king Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijam, right, began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was whatever, right? And he walked in all the sins his father did before him. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Nevertheless, despite all that, David, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up a son after him. God would not strip the kingdom because the promise was in effect. He did discipline them, but he never took the throne away. Next screen. You see it repeated. The Lord was not willing to destroy Judah, though he should have for their behavior, for the sake of David, his servant. Next screen. But we're reminded that it was a conditional promise in the sense that God would discipline anyone who didn't follow the ways of God. So in this promise, while God's not going to take his favor away, never going to revoke the promise, the king still had to act in faithfulness to God or God would punish them. Next screen. Over and over again. Over and over again. Keep going. Next screen. And, and, and Solomon learned it. And you know this story. You know how it ends. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon... Since this has been your practice, you've not kept my covenant, my statutes that I've commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Here's what God says. You've broken the covenant. You remember how? through 700 wives, 300 concubines, and because of all these women, his heart drifted away from God. And God says, listen, I'm not going to revoke God's prom- uh, the promise I made to David, but I am going to punish you. And one way is I'm going to split the kingdom in half. How many tribes go up north? Ten. Originally, 11. How many tribes go down south? Two. And that's the tribe, those those two tribes are the ones that David's line is always on. The northern kingdoms break into a bunch of kings covering a bunch of years. None of them are good. They aren't directly in line of David and they eventually go off into nothing, right? But that southern tribe, Judah and Levi, these two tribes, right? They have an offspring of David over them. People like Rehoboam, Ahijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, all the way down the line, Hezekiah, Josiah. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but this promise just keeps perpetuated. This promise rooted everything in the Old Testament, and everybody's hopes and dreams are set on this absolute promise of God that was rooted like concrete in the family of David. So that in Psalm 89... There is this wonderful celebration of this absolute promise of God everybody could count on. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. And you have said, I've chosen a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Next screen. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand with him forever. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my laws, next one, if they violate my statutes, do not keep my commandments, I will punish their transgression with the rod and with their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. All the way through, yes, I may punish them, send them off to captivity, but I will never wash my hands of them. This is a promise I'm making to David, which created a quandary. Look at the next screen. Now you've cast off and rejected him. You remember after, even after the southern tribes, as much as they're related to David, even they refused to follow God. And so God said, I had enough of it. He brings in a nation of people to take them captive called the Babylonians. We saw that in the Daniel VBS. And they're taken off, and they don't have their land anymore. They don't have their temple anymore. Is the promise to David null and void now? Is it done? We're sitting here. We're under Nebuchadnezzar now. Where is the offspring of David? Where's the promise God made that was perpetual, the forever, 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 forever promise? Where is that? It is a quandary, isn't it? What happened to it? What's God going to do to keep his word when he's made this promise that is so easy to measure? Now you've cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. This is written while in Babylon, wondering what happened to the promise, right? You've defiled the crown, his crown in the dust, and you have breached all the walls, and you've laid his stronghold in the ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become a scorn of his neighbors. Where is this grand promise of God? You ever wonder that in your life sometimes? All things work together for good. Oh, really? Because this ain't looking too hot. Leads to a quandary. They're in captivity, wondering how's God going to get himself out of this reputational mess? And then the prophets come. Prophet number one they shall not defile themselves anymore. Ezekiel's looking beyond the captivity. He's in the captivity looking beyond it. They will not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them. It's not over. The story's not written yet. I'm telling you, that promise back there in 2 Samuel 7 is still in effect even while you're in a foreign land with no power of your own. Even though you're in subjection to people who are holding you in slavery. I'm telling you, hold on to the promise. This is a roller coaster ride, y'all, and you're on a dip. Right? Next screen. Jeremiah took his stab at it, too. Remember, Jeremiah didn't go into captivity, but he's writing about the captivity. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely. The promise is not over. Next screen. Probably the best one. Isaiah. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Next screen. Of the increase of his government, of his peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. The throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and he will uphold it. He won't have it for a while. He'll have it forever. There is one coming who will forever sit on that throne from out of the line. Oh, this is weird. How in the world would you ever explain something like that? with justice, righteousness from his time forth and forevermore. The zeal, that that desire of God to keep his word is gonna come through in a mighty way and someone, one of the offspring, is gonna have the throne forever. That's a little bit weird. That's an old, old man. So the New Testament opens up. Confusion still reigns because while they're they're not in Babylon. They're still very much in captivity, this time to the Romans. And when the New Testament opens up, you've had these genealogies that we all get so bored with. You read these, and your resolve to read the New Testament nearly dies. But it's just very short. Beget, 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 and that's a, you, you want to memorize a few verses. Just say beget, 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 And You got three or four verses for you know for lads to leaders. But in Luke, next screen. As you're introduced to Jesus, both in Matthew and in Luke, Luke's genealogy is just after this, but, and behold, you will conceive, this is talking to Mary, in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his throne of his father, David. Whoa, the promise. This is a trigger. This is a trigger to make you remember. In case you've put it away in a treasure chest and forgotten it, in case you've become hopeless, thinking that this is a promise of God that he just can't, have a way to fulfill. Just in case, I want you to know, he's the, and that's why both genealogies, whether you trace it through Mary or whether you chase it through Joseph, they both come through David. He's pressed, he's pressed to make sure you know he's right there in line with the promise. Don't you think God's forgotten or become incapable of bringing it about? Don't you fall for that ploy because he's about to act again. And it's in Jesus. He will reign over the house of Jacob. How long, y'all? For what? How long? Forever. He's going to be on it forever. And there's where, when's his kingdom going to end? It ain't gonna. It's not gonna end. You're not supposed to say ain't, but in this case, you can. Who, who says? Romans chapter 1 when, Matthew, when, Matthew, when Paul is introduced in the gospel, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart, promised beforehand through his prophets concerning his son who is descended from David. That's one of the first details he wants to give. Descended from David. And so here Jesus is born, and suddenly the, the hope is ignited again that this promise might actually come to be and jesus lives and he calls himself or is called the son of david several times in the gospel as if to trigger in everybody's mind he's the one and everybody starts getting a kingdom idea again but it's the wrong idea you know even in acts one even then there's so are you now going to restore the king well not exactly like you're thinking But you remember they thought he was going to be. What what are the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? We had hoped he was going to restore the king. We just thought he was the son of David. We thought 2 Samuel 7 was coming true again. We just thought it might. And now our hopes are dashed and they're looking down and they don't even see that the king is right there beside them. Unbelievable, right? So that when... When Peter gets it straight in his mind by the Holy Spirit, he's able to preach a gospel sermon, the first gospel sermon. And what does his topic happen to be? Jesus is the son of David. That struggle in the Jewish mind, what happened to 2 Samuel 7? That's the reason why this could cut them to the heart so quickly. It doesn't have to take a lot of conversation for them to realize what they've done because the son of David, the son of David promise that's in their mind, it's in every Jewish mind, but it's a a source of confusion and embarrassment and hurt and shame and hopelessness, but it's there. It's there because God said it, and they've got to square it in their mind. And so, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that both he died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. How could somebody be on the throne forever and his kingdom? How could that possibly be? Because of resurrection. That's why, because of resurrection, that nobody could see that coming. Unbelievable. God fooled everybody. Not fooled. He just kept it hidden. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, we're all witnesses of this, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he's poured out on you all that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the son of David whose throne is over all forever. This is him by virtue of resurrection. It's amazing. David just saw the waters trickling. And he could could imagine with his mind's eye where that was going to lead. And we get to follow the stream as it builds and builds and becomes this mighty river and overtakes the world. But that's not all. It gets even better than that. You see, David was king over Israel, right? But this king was to be king over all. How do you square that? So you get to Acts 15, and they're trying to figure this all out, right? And you have Peter telling of his experience back there with Cornelius in Acts 10. You have Paul talking about his missionary journeys with Barnabas and, and all the, the fruit that's being born of the Gentiles, but still there's a confusion. How do, we, how, do we, uh, how do we have a kingdom with Gentiles? How do we do the Gentile thing? And then James, finally, that's the weird thing. It's not an apostle who solves this. It's an elder, an elder of the church at at Jerusalem and after they'd finished after Peter and Paul uh, apostles get done speaking James stands up he says brothers listen to me Simeon has Simon Peter has related uh, how God first visited the Gentiles Acts chapter 10 to take from 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 them a people for his name and with this uh, the words of the prophets agree what he's telling you was forecast back there in the Old Testament here it is after this captivity, I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that's fallen. I'm going to put the promise back. I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, so that, not just that Israel may rule the world against, so that the remnant of all mankind may Lord and all the Gentiles are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known from of old I am restoring David to the throne of Israel so that he can be over the throne of the entire world so that when Jesus speaks right before the great commission he says all authority on all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me I'm on the throne and I'm ruling and I'm reigning and the promise of David is alive and well the only reason, the only reason we're called the Church of Christ, not the Church of David and Abraham, is because all those promises led to Jesus, and He is the Son of God who completed the gospel plan. But if you are going to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be subservient, submissive to the lordship of the Son of David, or you're not in God's kingdom. That was established in 2 Samuel 7, and that's still true today. One last verse, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, and without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. It's available today. You can be in the kingdom of God if you will submit to the son of David who rules forever. Come enjoy the covenant blessings. Come participate in the glory of union with God. Enjoy him. But you have to submit to the son of David who sits on the throne. He is your savior. He is your Lord. And today, you can bow your knee to King Jesus. You can enter the kingdom of God, but you must submit to the promise made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You must submit to the one who is the son of David. This chapter was a big deal. The covenant he talks about is forever. It's the covenant you get to be a part of. And tonight you are either a person who's in submission to the son of David who's on the throne, or you need to be. And tonight you have another chance. Bow your knee. Call Jesus Lord. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. Rise to walk a new life in the kingdom of God. That's an option you have because of the promise God made. If that's a response you need to make, make it now as we stand and as we sing.